And the other option is hell. The place that our 16th cornerstone of faith calls an eternal place of punishment. I read a David Jeremiah study that quoted some research that was done by Northwestern University. It concerned a percentage of ministers, ministers, mind you, a percentage of ministers that do not believe in a literal place of punishment called hell. The results were staggering to me. The study said that of Episcopalian ministers, 96%, 96% did not believe in a literal place called hell. 92% of Methodist ministers did not believe in a literal hell. 85% of the Presbyterian ministers that were surveyed did not believe in a literal hell. And even 50% of Baptist ministers surveyed did not believe in a literal place called hell. So it's no wonder that we have so little preaching on the subject. Preachers ain't going to preach what they don't believe in. Amen? However, the message of the third angel in Revelation 14 leaves no doubt about the reality of a literal place of punishment called hell. In Revelation 14, beginning in verse 9, the scriptures tell us, Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast... Does anybody know who the beast is in Revelation? The Antichrist, exactly. If anyone worships the Antichrist and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out in full strength in the cup of his indignation, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. They who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. While it seems that there's a lot of ministers that have a problem with this literal place called hell, it's interesting that it seems that amongst lay people, there is actually an increased belief in a place called hell. The only thing is, 
is that most people don't believe that they're headed there. That's a good testimony, amen? Instead, they think that hell is reserved for the most hardened of criminals. They think that hell is reserved for the criminal evil element of society. But I pray that you know, as I do, that God's word judges people by a different criteria. You see, my friend, you are not sent to hell for being a bad person any more than you're sent to heaven for being a good person. We all deserve to spend an eternity in hell. Paul put it this way, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, being witnessed by the word of God. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Say believe. Who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God clearly says in His Word that those who reject the salvation that He offers through His Son, Jesus Christ, will spend an eternity in this place of torment. But, thank the Lord, He repeatedly gives us ample opportunity to choose life. To choose abundant life here on earth and also to choose eternal life with Him in heaven. So friend, listen, if you haven't made your decision yet about where you're going to spend life after death, or maybe if you have decided but you need a better understanding of what your unbelieving friends are going to face, then I want you to consider today's facts about hell straight from the pages of Scripture. The first fact that I want to address answers the question, what is hell like? What is hell like? In Luke chapter 16, Jesus shared a parable, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He shared the parable of a rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. And in that parable, Jesus gives us a glimpse of what hell is like. In Luke 16 and verse 19, these are the words of our Savior certainly worthy to hear and to allow them to resonate in our soul. In verse 19 of Luke 16, Jesus says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, lived a lap of luxury. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came 
and licked his sores. So it was that when the beggar died and was carried to the, by the angels to the side of Abraham, the rich man also died and was buried. And the rich man being in torments in Hades lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus by his side. And he cried. The rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, a great chasm between us, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house, for I've got five brothers. I've got five brothers that Lazarus may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. They've got the word of God. Let them hear them. And then the rich man said, No, Father Abraham. If one goes to them from the dead, oh, they'll repent. But Abraham said to him, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rises from the dead. What's going to be, what's hell going to be like? Well, one thing that we know, according to this, is that people's lifestyles on earth won't be the same as they are in eternity. Things dramatically changed for this rich man. Because he did not know God, he was immediately entering into torment, penniless, and in great agony. My friend, if your heart is not right with God, you face the same future as the rich man in this story. After death, you'll be held in hell's holding cell called Hades. And ultimately you'll be brought before God in what is called the great white throne judgment. But know this. Anyone that ends up in hell does so because of their own deliberate decision, their own deliberate rejection of God's offer of forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. People's lifestyle is going to be different. But Jesus also tells us in this parable that hell is going to be a place of flames and torment. This rich man experienced persistent heat and unquenchable thirst. There have been times when I've been preaching and I get cotton mouth and it's like this unquenchable thirst I can't even hardly talk. But this rich man was in so much agony that he calls out to Abraham to have Lazarus just dip his finger in water to cool the tip of his tongue. Friend, I want you 
to think of a time when your skin got burnt. Maybe you were down in Panama City and you got one of them Anderson sunburns, amen? Maybe you were little and you, you reached up onto the eye of the stove. Maybe you were at a bonfire and you got too close and your eyebrows and the hair on your arms got singed. None of those feel very good. But now I want you to think of that pain and that discomfort being all over your body while you are in utter isolation, complete loneliness, and utter darkness. If you can do that, you will then get an idea of the incredible horrors of hell. Things are going to be different in eternity than they are here. Hell is like a place of flame, a place of torment. But despite what you've heard, people ain't going to have a good time in hell. I've heard some people say, hey, well, I don't mind going to hell. It's where all my friends are going to be. That may be true. Your friends may be there. But I promise you, you will not enjoy a joyous reunion with them. As the Lord's parable tells it, this rich man is so alarmed by his current situation that he begs. He begs that Lazarus could go and testify to his brothers so that they would not join him in the torment that he was suffering. Friend, if you want to know about the realities of hell, don't listen to the tabloid accounts of those life after death experiences. Don't listen to that. You listen to the Word of God. Moses and the prophets, listen to the Word of God. And the Word of God will truthfully tell you what you can expect in your eternity. Either your acceptance or your rejection of His Word is what determines how you're going to spend the rest of your life. And your life's going to be a lot longer on the other side than it has been on this side. So the first fact addresses what hell is going to be like. The second fact addresses who, who is it going to be going to hell? Who will go to hell? Well, in Revelation chapter 20... John was instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ to write the words that he was told. And so John artfully wrote the words down as Jesus instructed him in the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 11 of chapter 20 in Revelation, John wrote, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up their dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to their own works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, 
and this is important, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Those names who don't appear in the book of life are the ones who are destined to spend everlasting punishment in that place called a lake of fire. Unlike the judgment seat of Christ, where believers will give an account of how they've used their giftedness from God, this great white throne judgment in Revelation 20 is God's final verdict. His final verdict in his plan for unsaved unbelievers. But, unlike earthly courtrooms, at the great white throne there's going to be a judge, but no jury. At the great white throne there is going to be a prosecutor, but no defender. At the great white throne there's going to be a sentence, but no appeal. It's a place where sinners stand of their own choosing before a holy God, get this, to give an account for every single sin that they've ever committed through the course of their life. And the standard by which they will be judged is simple. If you have accepted God's wonderful gift of salvation through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, your name will be found in the book of life. And you will spend eternity with God in heaven. However, friend, if you choose to reject Christ, your name will not be found in the book of life. And your final destination will be that lake of fire. No arguments. Case closed. So we know what hell's going to be like. And we know who's going there. But what is the worst part of hell? The Apostle Paul addressed this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. He said, we give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction, get this, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Right there in 2 Thessalonians, we find the most horrible part of this punishment for those who choose hell. What is it? Eternal separation from God. Now, to get an idea of how terrible it is to be eternally separated from God. I want to share a few consequences of what happens 
when you're eternally separated from God. The first is you're judged. Judgment occurs. After Jesus calls up his people, that is after he raptures the church, a seven-year period of intense persecution, intense judgment will ensue, known as the tribulation. And at the conclusion of that great tribulation, Scripture tells us that Christ Jesus will return to earth and that we, as his people, will return with him to reign with him for a thousand years only without the infection of sin and without the influence of Satan. Now, after that thousand years, Satan's going to be released from his prison for one final revolt against mankind and against God. But ultimately, Satan is vanquished, and every non-believer will be sentenced with him to spend eternity in that lake of fire. Now, another consequence of being separated from God is everlasting destruction. You see, in hell, non-believers will be doomed to exist in unending torment right along with the devil and every demon he ever had. In Matthew 25, the torment that they will endure is described by Jesus as an unquenchable, eternal fire. Just listen to how Jesus described it. In Matthew 25 and verse 31, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you, the blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The bottom line here is this. You do not want to spend an eternity in the agonies of hell with Satan, non-believers, and every demon there ever was. But there's another consequence. Not only judgment, not only everlasting destruction, another consequence is utter regret. Utter regret. Now, Jesus used many parables to describe who gets in and who doesn't get in to the kingdom of heaven. But in Matthew 13, 42, those who do not get in to the kingdom are pictured in a place where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. 
wailing and gnashing of teeth. That response. Wailing and gnashing of teeth is a response of regret. They're wailing and gnashing their teeth because they realize what they're going to be missing out on for all eternity. A final consequence of being separated from God is desperate hopelessness. Because their punishment is everlasting, non-believers have no hope of their condition ever improving. It never gets better. Their existence is not only one of agony, their existence is also one of utter despair. So I have good news for you. Those of you that are here today that know the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers, you have much to gain. But those who do not know Christ, who have not been born again through faith in the Son of God, have everything to lose. You may have heard people say, I could never believe in a God that would send somebody to hell. Well, friend, as clearly as the Bible teaches that God receives believers into heaven, the Bible also teaches that non-believers will be punished in an eternal place of punishment called hell. This concept does not give me a lot of joy to preach about. And I think that's why many don't preach it. It's not a very popular subject to be preaching about the consequences of unbelief. But for every one word that Jesus spoke about heaven, he spoke three about hell. Why? Why? It's because Jesus is so in love with people that he was driven to warn them about the punishment to come. It's not his desire that any be lost. Friend, God is no respecter of persons. The great and the small, the poor and the rich, the famous and the modest will only be judged for one thing. What have you done with Jesus Christ? What have you done with Jesus Christ? If you have rejected him and not believed in his sacrifice for your sins, you will appear at that great white throne. And you will be judged guilty for every sin that you have ever committed in your life. However, if you were to receive him and believe that Jesus died to pay the price, to pay the penalty for your sins, yes, you're going to appear before the Lord. You're going to give an account to explain yourself. But the verdict will have already been given. What's the verdict? Not guilty. Say it. Not guilty. Your penalty has been paid in full.
Friend, do you know someone whose name probably does not appear in the book of life? Many of us do. Won't you tell them soon how they can be saved from what you learned about today? Won't you tell them soon how they can avoid this 16th cornerstone of faith? Eternal punishment? You see, whether they choose Jesus or not, it's their responsibility. But whether they have a choice might very well be your responsibility. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for the eternal dwelling place of the believer. Father, it is our prayer that we become so convicted by the horrors of hell that there is no one we want to go there. Friend or enemy, family or kin, and that, Lord, we are willing to tell them about the only way by which human beings can be saved from the penalty of sin. That is, placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone to be saved. Lord, we thank you for that offer. We receive it today in the way you've given it. Love. Lord, if there's any decision that needs to be made here today or even through those that are watching us online today, Father, let not another hour pass by where they don't give their lives to your son Jesus and receive the penalty, the payment for the penalty that he gave. Lord, you caused the change in our lives. Lord, if we're truly the Christians that we claim to be, we'll consider it our responsibility to share the good news gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone who faces the horrible horrors of hell. Thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for your offer of forgiveness and salvation. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.